Hi, my name is Phil Harding. I'm a technology integration specialist for the Valverde Unified School District. And I just want to ask you one question. Do you have the bunker blahs? You do? Don't we all right now? Hey, if you're going stir crazy and think you're losing your mind and you're running kind of a little low on your uh, toilet paper, well, have I got something for you. I just came off of a uh, recorded uh, Zoom cast with the Sons of Technology uh, with my friend Joe Marquez and uh, my new friend Kyle Anderson. And I would love to encourage you to open your mind, open your ears, and get out of the bunker by uh, getting out on your spaceship of your mind. And so get ready. They're going to really wow you with the amazing uh, people they assembled in the clubhouse to discuss uh, this great disruption. Remember what Hemingway said. He always said, then suddenly, and we find ourselves in the then suddenly moment. And what I'd like you to do is give an ear to what we have to say in our podcast today. Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to the Sons of Technology podcast. Thank you so much for being here and joining us here in our clubhouse. We have a great group of educators here today talking about what is next? What is going on with all the school closures and all the distance learning going on? What is happening in schools two weeks, three weeks after the closures are happening? So before we begin, we're going to go ahead and introduce our amazing group of educators from the Sons of Technology. I'm going to go ahead and start with myself. My name is Joe Marquez. I am an educator out of the Central Valley of California. And if you want to follow me on the Twitterverse, you can find me at, at Joe Marquez 70 And always my partner in crime, Kyle Anderson, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Kyle Anderson from Northern Nevada, special education teacher. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech, my blog, AndersonEdTech.net. And I am also the author of To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking that you can find on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and also the website, ToTheEdgeEDU.com. So, and like you said, Joe, we've got several others joining us here today. We got some returning uh, members of the clubhouse and we also have some new members of the clubhouse that have popped in today as well so let's start with one of our returners Corey Coble is here Corey hey hello everyone my name is Corey Coble I am a seventh grade science and history teacher up in Northern California in Roseville and I'm excited to be a part of this uh, podcast again it's a lot of fun Excellent. And Atticat, Atticat are our returning friends from actually one of our most popular episodes about tech coaching because they do have they they are writing a book about it. So Atticat, please go ahead and introduce yourselves. Sure. Um, so we are uh, ed tech coaches here in the Central Valley as well. And um, <clears throat> my name is Catherine Goyette uh, at Twitter at cat underscore Goyette. And um, wonderexplorelearn.com is where you can find um, my thoughts and my blog. And go ahead, Adam. Adam Waters, a uh, <clears throat> uh, grade 6012 uh, EdTech integration coach. Just, I just can't believe my 15th year. It just seems like a wow, like yesterday. I just got started. But uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at TechCoachWaters and then my website, techcoachwaters.com. 
Excellent. And one of our newest members, Patrick, all the way from the East Coast. Patrick, please introduce yourself. I'm Patrick Hausman. I can be found at phusedu.com and phusedu on Twitter. I am nearing year 10 as a tech coach and just this year became supervisor of instructional technology in my district as well in Northern Virginia. Excellent. That's amazing. And Patrick, we are so happy that you are on the podcast because your, your voice and, and, and your experience is going to be extremely important in what we're going to be talking about. And Phil, one of my very good friends, Phil Harding. Phil, please introduce yourself. I'm so happy you've joined the Sons of Technology and that you are part of today's podcast. Well, I'm excited, Joe, to be in your clubhouse. And this looks like an amazing crew of people. I can't wait to pick all their brains and find out everything they know. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm on P. Harding uh, 2, at P. Harding 2 on uh, Twitter. Uh, I am part of the Valverde Unified School District. Uh, I was probably a Tectosa long before there was such a thing. Uh, today, I think my title is called Technology Integration uh, Specialist. Uh, I'm a SETPA CTO, site CTO, since they changed their name. Uh, longtime Q member since the 1990s. Excellent. And, and, once, and Phil, your, your uh, experience and, and, and everything that you've done in technology is going to be extremely important because you're going to be able to tell us the difference between what technology is doing today for students in the classroom compared to what it was doing in the year 2000, right? So you're going to be a vast knowledge of experience for that. So we really appreciate this. Now, everybody, you know, we are in unprecedented times. And in fact, the last episode that we recorded was called Unprecedented Times. It was right when all the schools were starting to close and, and everybody was worried about what's going on. And, and you know, I, I think I've seen um, some calmness set over because of amazing tech coaches and amazing minds like yourselves helping teachers all around. And, and I want people to rem remember this, that, you know, what's happening right now is, is not you know, what we wanted, right? It's not what we expected, but I want you to imagine this. If this would have happened 10 years ago, amazing, uh, imagine what would have happened to our kids at that point. I mean, we wouldn't, we don't have the, we wouldn't have the technology then that we do today to connect and to, and to have that face-to-face -face connection and, and to be able to collect information and insight on student learning and knowledge um, in, in, a, in, a, in a quick way like we do today. Right. I mean, back then, I think the only thing we could have done is packets and hope for the best. And today we don't have to hope for the best. We can work for the best. And that's why I wanted today to talk about what are the amazing things that you have seen happen in your district? What are the what is the amazing things that you've seen happen to teachers who maybe traditionally hadn't used technology and now they are? And then what are the things that you are doing to help those teachers learn and gain new insights into how to use educational technology to benefit students? So I, that's the reason I wanted as many people on this today as possible, because every single one of your insights is going to be extremely, extremely important. And I know for myself, I am not directly in the classroom, right? I'm an educational strategist for the entire West Coast of the United States, and I work with districts to help consult and collaborate with them and their toasted teams and their tech teams on how to best deliver PD and, and, and uh, support during this time. And in fact, I've been doing national webinars every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific time uh, through uh, a CDW 
um, to help as many educators uh, navigate this world of remote learning. But you are all the boots on the ground, specifically with the school, specifically with teachers. So I would love to hear what you are doing, the stories you have heard, the stories that you have seen, and the stories you've experienced um, in these last two, three weeks of this shutdown. So first, I want to actually uh, bring Corey into this, because Corey has, has said he's been doing um, trainings for teachers face-to-face -face for years, and he said he gets like nine or eight people in his room for that training. But by doing it virtually these past few weeks, you've seen that exploded uh, in the number of people joining. So Corey, I'd love to hear your story there. Yeah, so uh, you're saying, you know, 10 years ago, if this you know, school shut down 10 years ago, I'd probably still be making packets and mailing them off to the students and trying to get them to them. And I mean, just unprecedented times with how we do things. And so we shut down March 13th was our last day of school. We had about, um, I think, a, a week before our spring break. And then we had um, a two week spring break. And that's kind of where we're at right now. But that week we shut down, they're like, hey, your first week of spring break, you guys aren't going anywhere. So, you know, teachers, if you'd like to sit in on some professional development, we'll set up a one hour sessions uh, that Monday through Friday. We had about seven or eight um, pretty amazing teacher leaders, coaches um, who really have been doing a lot of technology um, jump in. They signed up for hours and hours of, you know, sessions. And we had anywhere from 50 to almost 80 teachers. They had to cap it at like 80 teachers. And I had to repeat one session on Google Forms because we had so many teachers coming in. Um, we did over 1,500 hours of professional development. And every one of those teachers got paid their hourly rate. Um, they submitted a time card and, you know, um, jumped right in, learned kindergarten through eighth grade teachers, um, PE to, you know, uh, third grade. I mean, it was just amazing to see them learn about Screencastify and Google Apps and how to make your own videos and uh, formative assessments and things like that. So I think my my biggest thing was uh, my moment that was like smiling from ear to ear, a uh, kindergarten teacher, you know, kindergarten teachers, God bless them because I've, I've done it before. Um, very much hands-on art, you know, lessons and activities and really, you know, those time teachers they're like, what the heck do we do? I don't have no idea what to do. Um, they came to me and over that week, they learned how to make their own videos. They posted them on their own website. Um, they're connecting with their students through classroom now. I mean, ways that I would never imagine a kindergarten classroom being, they have reimagined it. And it's been so impressive to see their willingness to do that. So um, shout out to all those teachers out there who are really taking that risk and jumping in. And, you know, it's not gonna be perfect, but they see the results and I don't think things are going to be the same when we come back. No, absolutely. And, and I think all of these, these new skills, these teachers are learning um, is, is going to really help them in their face-to-face -face instruction. And, and I think that's what people need to understand is that we're not training them on how to properly remote learn with their students. We're trying to show them how they can properly learn with their students, teach with their students, whether it's face-to-face -face or remote. Every skill that we train them on is not for a singular instance. It can happen in all facets of education. Kyle, I want to talk to you for a second because um, you had the, uh, the, the foresight of doing tech trainings at your school because I was part of one when you brought myself and John Carippo over to your school uh, to do some trainings with your teachers. How, how is everything going where you are? Uh, it, it's hard to tell uh, because we haven't been able to see each other face to face and we haven't had necessarily a large staff meeting by Zoom or Google Hangout or anything. So really, I'm just kind of confined to 
the department that I work with with social studies. And then I do meet with uh, the special ed department on a regular basis as well. But other than that, it's kind of hit and miss. I just, I'm not really connecting much with people outside of those two departments. So I honestly don't have much insight on that. But what I can say is that for special ed, the big thing there, it's um, not only is it important to connect with our students during this time, just for the sake of connecting with them, just to see how kids are doing and how they're holding up during all this, but there's a legal aspect to it as well with accommodations and modifications that need to be met by law that's spelled out in a kid's IEP. So there is a lot of work going into that. I, I would say that I am probably working harder now than I ever did before when I was in the actual classroom in a physical school environment, because what I have to do now is to make sure that we're hitting all those accommodations. I have to make contact with my students at least once a day. And my caseload is 18 students. So that if I'm calling all of those students and I'm actually making connections by phone with those students, that's a three hour process most of the time when I'm uh, talking to all those students by phone. Um, if it's by email, it's, it's certainly much quicker. But then if parents are emailing me back, then that's taking up a little bit more time. I've also set aside an hour every other day in the morning where students on my caseload can meet me online on Google Meet and get some extra help if they want to as well. But right now, I haven't been getting students to connect with me in that fashion because A, they have a class during that time. And B, I think there are a lot of them are just overwhelmed because they're trying to connect with all their teachers and get work done for all their classes. So uh, so I have not had any luck connecting with the students in that fashion. But now with the special, or excuse me, the social studies department, uh, I co-teach world history and economics. That's a little bit different where I am seeing kids on a more regular basis on Google Meet. I'm connecting with them via email, sometimes by phone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the one thing I will say that I feel that we've done a really good job on was when we, when this whole thing went down, we met as a department with social studies and decided like, what do we want this to look like? And the first thing that most everybody said was, we need to make sure it's something that's not going to overwhelm our students. They've got enough going on in their lives right now. So it was decided that we were going to do one assignment per subject area, US history, economics, world history, et cetera. One assignment per week, okay, nothing beyond that. And it wasn't going to be something that was going to be very time consuming, something that where it would take a student several hours to complete. We're talking something that like an hour or less is what this assignment would look like where, but at the same time though, it wasn't just going to be some sort of busy work. Like, you know, back in the day before technology, oh, here's a crossword puzzle or here's a word search. It's not going to be something simple in that fashion. It still had to be rigorous. It still had to adhere to the standards that we had set out. So with world history, we were just getting ready to start World War II at that time. So we did, our last three weeks were all assignments based on different aspects of World War II. So week one was just kind of a general overview of the causes of World War II in the world. Week two took a look at the Holocaust and genocide. And then week three that we just wrapped up looked more at the ending of the war the, the development of the atomic bomb and the ending of the war. And then when we get back, we're actually in spring break now at this point, when we get back from spring break, we're going into the cold war. So the whole idea was, again, we're covering the standards. We're expecting students to do certain things, but again, we don't want to overwhelm students with what we're doing 
right now because there's just so much going on. And when I took a look uh, at the program that we're using to push out these assignments, not many students had completed them at this point. And I, I sent a quick email to the kids and their parents and said, listen, I know a lot's going on right now. I'm not expecting you to do a bunch of work over spring break, take some time. But at the same time though, right now we're looking at, this is still going to be part of your grade. So we don't want you to get too far behind and risk not getting credit. So now there has been some uh, inklings about just going to a pass fail model now with this semester. And I'm sure a lot of schools are looking at that at this point, but so we're, we're trying to make the best of the situation and still set expectations and rigor for our students. And, and that's great. And I, and I think teachers really do need to understand that, you know, especially if you're in a secondary setting, you're not the only teacher that is asking them to do work. Right. And so if, if you're, if you're putting, you know, just hours and hours and hours of work in your, in your virtual LMS, like classroom or Microsoft teams, they, they might have that same amount from other teachers. So let's, you know, let's, let's, let's give a little bit of, of understanding to them that, that this is new to them. They didn't choose to do, virtual learning, they've been forced to do it. And so they have to learn to acclimate to this new situation just as much as teachers do. So I think we need to do that. Now, I wanna go ahead and, and, and go to Catherine a little bit because uh, Kat, you are a, a, at a county level as, as a, a technology coordinator coach. Um, how, how is it working at a county level to um, you know, give trainings and help uh, teachers across the districts in your county that need that help? It's a good question. <clears throat> it's interesting because um, at that level, I'm able to see the variability um, uh, amongst several districts. We have about 40 districts in our county. Many are, are small K-8 uh, single school districts. And it's interesting to see um, the models of those that are, um, this is um, uh, not as heavy of a lift as others, right? So, um, those districts, we've got a couple districts in our county that already were take-home devices, Wi-Fi for the whole community, and for them, uh, those teachers are a lot more comfortable and those students already have access um, so that even though remote learning is certainly a different lesson design um, in a way that, you know, you can't do it exactly like you would um, face to face, but, but they, they don't have that hurdle to go through, um, as opposed to some districts that, you know, had not yet uh, moved that direction. And so um, I will say those, um, I worked with a district um, just recently, um, who I've worked with for about four years since I began. And the really exciting part was even those teachers who um, were a little resistant to the technology integration that we used to talk that we had been working on for four years um, all of a sudden um, they're wanting to provide these opportunities to the, to the students and so um, fortunately all their middle so they're a k-8 and a um, couple an elementary and a middle school and so the middle school sent devices home with all the kids the elementary is considering whether they're going to do that or not a lot of them have siblings that, that are that are middle school. I really liked this model. What they did was um, they brought me in for a virtual professional learning session. It was a couple hours. Um, I did give them time to kind of explore on their own because two hours is a lot. Um, but these teachers, the district said, Catherine's gonna walk you through kind of lesson design for distance learning, um, whether you have the kids have technology or not, and your what we want you to do when you come back from spring break and collaborate with your team, you need to design one. 
because we're learning. And so you need to design one lesson um, and move forward with that. And then we're going to learn together, um, you know, and I'm going to come back and, and work with them again. But um, it's, I, I think that some people are trying to um, like fit a, uh, a square peg into a round hole. Uh, they say, okay, well, this is the way I've always taught it. And so either I'm just going to give worksheets because I don't know what to do, or I'm trying to fit like this model where kids are going to sit and watch me teach on a Zoom session or whatever. And it's like, that's not going to, that's, that's not equitable. You've got kids that are babysitting their younger students, but they've got maybe one device in the household. And if all kids are on at the same time, that doesn't work. So um, I, I think that they're kind of trying to learn I, and i think sim simplicity is important so kyle was talking about making it simple for the kids making it doable and so something that i uh have have been working with the teachers on is four steps there's four steps for distance learning first you're going to set the stage so whether it's a zoom call or it's a video you know hey i'm so excited you guys are here we're going to learn about um you know we're going to read today and you're going to tell me about your book say in an elementary elementary session so you were setting the stage then we're giving them some content maybe it's a video maybe you ask them to read some text you know whatever it happens to be then having them collaborate whether it's on a flip grid or they're talking to a family member like directing them to actually have some communication and then in some way they talk about their learning so perhaps they draw a picture in the younger grades perhaps they um you know they they upload something they they do you know some sort of writing whatever it is it's just four steps that's it that, that's it and so that has been really helpful for teachers because it's um you just can't go through the whole like lesson design process that they had done before um and like kyle said it's about simplicity not just for the students but for the teachers too um so i think that what now um teachers are starting to realize that this is a completely different environment. And so we need to think differently. Um, and, but it, I think it's exciting. There's, there's some good stuff happening. And I'll say that those teachers, like I said, that were resistant before are wanting to learn. And it's because of the kids. It's because they wanna connect with their kids and they know technology is the way to do it. So I am very um, optimistic that this is going to, um, it's helping teachers to become learners again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love what you said about, you know, you know, teachers, you know, not, not being able to do things the same way they always have. And, and I think, you know, one benefit of this is that we can no, you know, we, we can no longer have a teacher say, well, I don't want to do it that way because this is the way we've, we've always done things. We can point to this exact moment in time and say, no, that is not the way we've always done things. Look at, look at everything we did in a virtual environment. You can still do things like that in a face-to-face -face environment. And so I, I, if you're looking at any benefit, it's that teachers are being exposed to things they may not have been exposed to or wanted to get themselves exposed to because we try and expose them as much as possible, but they maybe try to shy away as much as possible. And so I love what you're doing. I love what you said because that's ex exactly what's, what's going to happen. Now, we're talking a lot about West Coast things, and we'll get back to the West Coast. Adam and Phil, but Patrick, I want to talk to you because you're on, you're on the other side of the country. And so you may be seeing things moving at a, a, a either a, a different pace or in, in a different route. I'd love to hear what's going on in your area and what you're doing to support your teachers and maybe some amazing stories that you have of some teachers that are really, have really grown during this time. I would say that we're probably very similar. I mean, I know I heard the date March 13th and that was kind of the Friday the 13th that everything started for us as well. So we're in a very small district. Me and one other tech coach do the four schools that we have. 
And I would say one of the biggest things throughout, whether it's teachers, students, administration, was communication the whole time. Constantly administration was in communication, having admin meetings and pushing that to teams. And then as we've started to do kind of review activities and think about learning opportunities for students, it's been constant communication between teachers and students, teachers and parents, administration and parents, and keeping those avenues open, whether it's live trying to do some sort of a meeting that way, or even just going to Flipgrid or emails or phone calls, things like that. Our training side, because of how small we were, we decided to go with some of the on-demand things that we already had built out but then also really trying to connect one-on-one. -on -one. Um, we thought more than offering sessions in bigger groups, um, we'd get a lot more of the people that have been kind of hesitant beforehand if we went one-on-one. -on -one. And then a lot of our other folks kind of dove right in and then asked questions as they went. And we just kind of guided them on the side, but we did a big push to tell people to try and use things you're already comfortable with. We were already using Classroom and different things in G Suite. We had Flipgrid going in a lot of places. We really tried to push people, don't try and reinvent the wheel, stick with things that you're comfortable with and maybe branch out to a couple more things to fill in gaps, but don't try and force yourself to learn 50 new things. We all have seen the giant list of all the things that have gone free and it's probably up to 150, 200 things are better now and people are like, oh my God, I could do all these things, but I don't know how to start with any of it. Start with the things you know, then branch out from there and if you need help, I am constantly connected. I, I know I'm, I'm probably more connected than I should be, but during this point, like I, I'm never putting my phone down. I'm probably not more than 10 feet away from a computer most of the time because I, I get that email. If I get that SOS, I want to be able to reach it and do it right away. Yeah, we Patrick, the big thing that you said there out of all of that was working with the stuff that you're comfortable with. So you're right. There's a lot of teachers that are coming right now and, and I applaud them for wanting to try new stuff. So yeah. the big one I'm seeing a lot of is people coming on saying, Hey, how are you recording your screen? Which, you know, the answers are, you know, screencast-matic, screencastify, Flipgrid has their uh, screencasting feature now. So there's all these different tools, but now is not necessarily the time to try these things. If you've never done it before, in my opinion, where, it's only going to cause you frustration. And then if you, if you're not able to do it correctly, it's going to cause the students frustration as well. So doing those things you're already comfortable with is the way to go. And, you know, I, I forget who said this. I think it was on Ryan and Brian's check this out podcast where we talk all the time about how the big freaking packet is not necessarily the way to go, but right now that might be the way to go for some teachers and some students because if you're not comfortable with a lot of the different things that we've been talking about doing for a long time, it's now's not the time to try to do those things. So, and again, as much as we despise the big freaking packet, that might be the better route to go rather than frustrating the teacher and the student right now. Well, you know, one thing that, that Patrick said was, you know, you, you, the teachers are being inundated by like, you know, hundreds of these tools and they may be tempted to try each of them out, but they could, it could be very daunting. Right. I mean, it's like if you walked into a Lowe's and, and you felt like you were expected to know every single tool in there, know how to use it all. You, you would feel very timid on going into Lowe's for anything, even to pick up a hammer. Right. But if you go into Lowe's with a purpose, like if you know you're building a fence 
and you know the tools that would probably work for that, you're going to go down the right aisle and see the tools that'll work or maybe a new tool that you never knew existed because at least you have a thought process on the outcome you're looking for. And I think that's what teachers need to make sure they are focusing on. Don't look at a shiny new tool and, and try, like, like Kat said, you know, force a square, in a, a square peg in a round hole. You know, find your learning outcomes and then maybe you can peruse some tools that will help meet those outcomes. That will actually provide a better outcome than if you, tr you go, oh, Flipgrid, I hear everybody's talking about it. I'm gonna try and force it into this lesson. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works in face-to-face -face classrooms. That's not the way it works in remote or virtual classrooms. You have to have a purpose before you choose the tool, right? I was and gonna, I, jump, I, in. I was oh, gonna yes. jump in and say, um, you know, as a middle school teacher, you don't wanna try something new and, you know, untested with, you know, and you're not comfortable with, with middle school kids because they're probably going to take advantage of that. Um, you know, we saw that with the Google Meets when the teachers first started using it, the kids were staying on after the teacher left because they didn't know. And the kids were staying on afterwards and, you know, having, you know, off track conversations. So yeah, I, I agree totally. It's like, don't start something brand new. Um, maybe try a little bit, see what you're, see what you're comfortable with. But from a middle school point of view, don't try something new and yeah. you know, cause the kids will definitely take advantage of that. Well, real those quick. kids will eat you alive. I remember when I, when I first started teaching, all my friends were like, well, how come you don't stay out past nine o'clock anymore? I go, cause I gotta be on my A game because those kids are ruthless. If you are off your game, they will take you, they will take you to town. So you're absolutely right uh, with that. Um, you know, and, and, I want to talk to Adam, you know, so the, the other part of Atticat, because you are physically at a school, right? You are working with teachers. Uh, you were working with teachers face-to-face, one-on-one, and now it's in a virtual format. How is that going? Are you seeing like what Corey saw where you're seeing more teachers come to you for help now that this is occurring, or are you seeing kind of no change? Oh, without a doubt, it's all of a sudden, uh, I'm that old, old white sage on top of the mountain that everyone's lined up to come see, whereas before, you know, they, they, they didn't have to come see me. So they, they did it only if, you know, if they felt like it. So it's, it's definitely, business is booming. And, you know, I mean, I wish it didn't have to come to a pandemic for, for people to see the value of a net tech coach, but now, it, but it kind of, for me, there's two, two, two things that I've really taken from this whole situation. Uh, one is something that we address in our book about the importance of, of tech coach. You're, you're that liaison between, between admin and the teachers. You, you, you're that bridge. And we talk about how getting, connecting with teachers, it doesn't happen unless pretty much teachers are in general aren't going to do anything unless they're, they're mandated to do it. So when I first became a tech coach, I, I talk, I talk, I've talked about it in, um, in sessions. It's, it's a story in our book about how I, I got into a really low place one day because nobody was reaching out wanting to learn all this cool stuff. And I, I, so I did an experiment where I locked myself in my office one day, turned off the lights, and I watched YouTube all day, and no one even knew if I was gone or there. No one called, no one complained, and I just watched YouTube videos all day as a test. I'm like, all right, something's got to change. And what, what, what changed was that my approach was I, I had to go to the admin and really give them a plan of attack and here's what I want to do. And once I found something that the admin was really on board with, they mandated, all right, to the teachers, you're gonna be working with Adam on this, and once it came from the from the admin, all of a sudden they couldn't ignore me anymore. So we're in a similar situation now, where, you know, they they can't ignore me. 
the admin said, all right, this is what we're doing. This is what has to be done. Here he is. And they, they do it without question. They're, 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 I mean, they have, I guess, that, that metaphorical gun to their head. I mean, hate to hate to use that kind of a reference, but that's kind of what, what, what it's come to. And, but in my experience, anything time that I've gotten something done, it's come with a clear admin mandate. And pretty much like they, they didn't question it this time. Like they, they all kind of were on board and were, were like fans of the stuff that I was, I was doing and stuff I was trying to, to preach upon them, but they didn't feel like they had to. So there, it was only, you know, maybe a third of them who were willing were jumping into it. The rest were like, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like it. But now everyone is on board and they're scrambling. And I, I did 30 sessions last week from 8 a.m. till 4 p.m., six sessions a day, 45 minutes in length. And it was, it was a marathon. And I had, what was really impressed, I was impressed by is that our district, when they said, all right, they empowered me to set up this whole week long PD. They said, all right, that each teacher is mandated to attend only one. I'm like, all right, um, all right. <laughs> I mean, that's not my call. But even though they were only mandated to attend one, I had people repeat multiple sessions, like coming back and coming back every day, multiple times a day, even though they didn't have to. And I think that that was, that was a huge message right there, like about how really they're, they're very concerned about how the, the, they're going to connect with their students in this time. Yeah. And it's not just like they feel like the admin's making them do it. They're like, hey, I, I need to be here for my kids. And they were willing to go above and beyond to, to get that training and build their toolbox so that they can do what's best for kids. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a fine line between the crazy old hermit on a mountain and the wise old man on a mountain, right? Because th that's exactly what I'm seeing right now is a, a lot of us were that crazy old hermit on the mountain that is proclaiming this from the mountaintop and everybody's just pointing and going, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. You're, you live on a mountain. And then now everybody's looking up like, oh, he lives on the mountain. He is, he's someone we need to go talk to. That, I mean, that's a huge transition just because of this instance. It's, it's very, very interesting. And, and what you said about teachers not, um, you know, not doing something unless they're mandated to, we're not, we're not putting teachers down when we say that, right? It's, it's, if they don't feel it's necessary, they don't really need to do it. it it's kind of like, you know, like imagine if you love the band Fish, Right? And you're going around telling people, hey, that, ba that band Fish is amazing. You've got to listen to this song. You're like, okay, crazy man. I, I like my music. Maybe I'll, I'll try one song or, or another. And then we go to a Fish concert and everybody loves Fish. You're like, don't you love Fish? Yes, I love it. Don't you love that song? Yes, I do. And you're with your group and you go back and you're like, no, everybody's got to be like this. And it's not. And it's like when we go to conferences like Q or ISTE, we're around our people, we're around our tribe, and we're showing what we love, and everybody's eating it up, and they love it. And you're like, yes, okay, I'm going to go back invigorate, and you go back and show it. And like, no, you're that crazy old hermit on a mountain. We don't need to listen to you. And so when admin gets behind it, that is the most important thing. And when I was a tech coach at a, a, a very particular school, I never had that. I mean, I, I may have had one admin that, that, was, that liked what I did, but it wasn't mandated for any of the teachers to learn any of it. In fact, there was one time, uh, I think it was back in 2015, uh, maybe 2016, when I, I, I was pushing Google Classroom. Hey, this is a great thing for us. We're already at Google School. This is a great way to push things out. And I presented it at one of our, um, at our all, all staff meetings. And I got an email from a, a teacher saying, is this mandatory or is this optional? 
And we go, why? Because, because it's going to make a difference if we use it or not, depending if it's mandatory or optional. And I'm like, it shouldn't matter if it's mandatory or optional. It's, is it beneficial to you and your students? But that they didn't see it that way. So you're absolutely right. When, when administration gets behind what you're doing, it makes Atosa's life a lot easier. And that's why I want to go to Phil. Because Phil, I've been to Valverde. I've been with your team. You have an amazing admin team. And you have... you. You and Greg are amazing TOSAs for that school. And, and, and plus, you have a huge history in technology and education. So I would love to hear kind of the, what the Valverde story, what you're doing, and then also how the admin that you have have, have backed you up uh, to, to allow what you do possible. Yeah, I've been, I, I was listening to everybody. I kept writing uh, some notes down saying, okay, what, what, what are some of the things I would definitely want to highlight? And Joe, you're right. You've been there. You've seen our culture. Um, one of the benefits I had was I was like all the rest of you. Uh, I didn't have even Greg uh, with me until about five years ago. Um, and so I was like a one-man band, and you guys know how that goes. Um, and then I got stretched way too thin, but I had some leftover grant money out of a federal grant. And they said, hey, Phil, you got to spend that money, right? Um, and so what I did was I said, hey, can I take a group of teachers and uh, I put them through at the time Intel Teach to the Future, which was my Microsoft and Intel did like an understanding by design kind of set up with basic training and, and Microsoft Office. Now remember, this is late 1990s, all right? So our culture starts back into the early uh, 90s when uh, it was the so-called internet and we were featured in a, a film by uh, MIT and the University of Minnesota, which was called Network Schools. And they thought it was insane that our school board had decided to lay the cables to connect all our schools into a network. And what does that look like? And we started out with what everybody would use, or I remember uh, we started out, and I've told you a story before, Joe, uh, we started out with email. And that connected all our schools. Well, what happens when schools get connected? They share where they want to go, what we're trying to do for the kids. And I would say, going clear back to that, um, I've been very fortunate to always have superintendents who always had the end in mind, the student and the teacher in mind, uh, where we were going as a community. We're a very unusual district. We sat in between Paris, uh, Paris's suburbs, and Moreno Valley suburbs and everything else in between. Um, so we're an unusual entity as a school district and, and we're a medium-sized school district as what a lot of people would call us. Um, but we've always been a place of innovation and Joe, you, you came and uh, actually spent time with my, uh, what we call our technology integration experts. We have 60 of them guys. Uh, so I have a small army. And I think mine and Greg's experience was due to our culture of using tech and always knowing what tech we were using and the cross uh, agreement by our admin on what we were doing and how we were doing it in our classrooms. Uh, we're big on edge of protocols and edge of protocols played a very big role uh, during this time. Um, we also uh, brought in Dr. Sonny Magana and his, the famous T3 guy, right? And uh, Sunny shared the vision with our admin at the admin retreat. So everybody has that mindset. And when you have that mindset, you can get a lot more done. We're a one-to-one -one district. All of our kids have Chromebooks. That also helped. But you also got to make sure the teachers are equipped. 
So all of our teachers have their own laptop. They work off their laptop at school. They take it home. They're used to that culture. So when this hit, I think we were in better shape than anybody else almost. Um, and I think part of that was due to our growing a culture over 30 years. And also the fact that I benefit from having Mike McCormick uh, and a superintendent who's a visionary of, of not only tech, but all the other aspects of community building. And I think our community just waited for us to say, hey, this is what we're going to have to do in this time of crisis. And you know what, Joe, I, I found the transition. I, our teachers were already reaching out to students uh, by that Monday. So, you know, we, we closed school Friday afternoon um, by Monday, Tuesday. I saw it with my own daughter. My own daughter teaches in my district. She's a fifth grade teacher. And she was already reaching out to her kids. But our students already knew and our teachers already knew how to use Google Suite, Google Classroom. They already knew uh, what tools best work for them. And they were also being very judicious in what they were doing. So as we figured out really a plan for the rest of the school year, um, they were already ready. And it helped that I had an army to support that of instructional coaches and, and uh, our ties that, you know, they were able to take care of. So my, a lot of my questions the first week or two, even though I would get, you know, a question about Zoom or um, what about these guidelines the district put out on using Zoom or I'll get those kind of questions. Um, a lot of my questions were, <clears throat> sorry about that, I got a frog in my throat, um, were more uh, real hardcore tech questions. Uh, hey, Phil, um, my drive is going out and you guys are getting ready to replace it before we hit, you know, this crisis. Uh, things like that were, were the kind of things we were dealing with. Along with, and one thing that was important that we did that all of you guys did, um, is we figured out what were our five best tools and don't try to go out and use anything new. Also, remember our kids are under a lot of stress in their families. Uh, this isn't going to look like a normal day at school. Uh, you're going to have to try to make it as normal as possible, right? Um, and uh, one of my good friends who's a language arts teacher shared that she did kind of a, a diary thing with her students. And, you know, kids reflect what's going on in the home. And sometimes we forget that part. You know, they were saying, hey, you know, I had to watch my baby sister today by myself or, oh, we're, we're having to stay at my aunt's place because both my parents are essential workers. You know, those kind of things. And, I mean, and, that, and that's exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's you know, the, the culture that your district has was built upon um, admin thought, right? I mean, a bo the board, you know, wanting to get those, those lines laid. I mean, that's amazing, right? Because it's coming straight down um, and, and so, you know, we all know that when we don't have that support, things can either fall apart or stay stagnant. And so um, I wanted to give every single one of you like individual time to talk and tell us everything that's happening because we all are experiencing things that are different. But I want to ask one singular question before we move on. Um, and you can all answer over each other. Okay, don't, don't think I'm, you have to answer individually. Do you think technology has allowed us to make, make this time of, of, of being away from school uh, better and beneficial for teachers and students? Or do you think it is, is causing more problems and that it's showing that technology 
really has no place in education. Which, which one is that? Do you think the technology is helping the situation or hurting the situation? And everybody can answer over each other. Yeah, I think it's, there, there's going to be bumps in our road. It's no, nothing perfect. It's definitely not a magic bullet, but I'm definitely going to say that it's, it's, it's helping. It's helping much more than, than, than it's actually hurting um, completely. And it's for, again, it's helping because we're, we're, we're unofficially redesigning what education looks like. We've kind of been forced into this. And, you know, I, I've been hearing this common theme, this, this whole, this, this whole episode here, people talking about, you know, don't, worry about trying up a whole bunch of new things, keep it as simple as possible. And I, I'll take that to another level because where my, where I work in our district, we have over a third of our kids had, when it started May 13th, did not have internet access. Uh, that's a significant minority right there that cannot be ignored. So now that we start phase two on Tuesday, you know, it's more, it's going to a more blended and in the state what we're doing is Working on, and I, 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 had to, I had to tweak my whole my old PD schedule last week because of it. Just re realizing that most of our kids, those kids who do have internet access, a lot of them said it was just their phone. They didn't have a laptop, they didn't have a Chromebook, a Mac, an iPad. They had a phone, and that was it. So I had to really tweak everything I was doing, and I started a whole like I felt like I was a broken record. I kept saying, "Okay, we're making this phone friendly." If they can't do it on a phone, then don't do it. So it was like a simple recipe of, all right, record your lesson, put it on YouTube. They, they can do that on a phone, okay? Give them a prompt that they can answer in Google Classroom a question. Give them a prompt that they can answer in, in, uh, in, in Flipgrid and maybe a, some kind of, maybe a Google form for some sort of assessment. That can all be done on the phone. And that really opened up my eyes to what, what the reality was. And I mean, I, I tried to get, you know, all right, you guys are going to use Docs. You're going to mark the text. I'm like, no, that can't be done on a phone. Well, I'd like to add on what you're saying. Um, my wife works for a larger school district, three times our size. And um, <clears throat> I was really shocked at what she's had to do with the last couple of weeks. She even had some parents call her and say, hey, we don't even have a computer in the house. What do you do about that? You know? Yeah, and I'll jump in there and say, I've been really on the side, obviously as a tech person, that I think it's helping but I think it's also helping in ways that aren't necessarily, here's the different things you can do with technology to keep teaching. But I also, in touching on what Adam said too, and even Phil, it's also highlighting areas of inequity that are coming to the forefront now as far as kids not having connection. Um, people maybe only having dial-up, which isn't gonna facilitate a lot of streaming and different things, and highlighting needs of our, our special ed population and bringing different things to the forefront that are, yeah, we can do great things with tech, but we need to think about all these other things too and bring those things to the top of the conversation too. Yeah, I'm looking at it like a marathon too. It's like, you know, the finish line is 26 miles away, but if I start out too fast, I'm gonna burn myself out in mile three and have to be, you know, medevaced out. But if we look at this long term, I think we're opening up a lot of eyes. Teachers are realizing some things that they can do instead of like, oh, I can't do Flipgrid. It's, it's impossible to do. Oh, wait, I can do it. It's, it's not a bad thing. I see other people doing it. Oh, my gosh, the Zoom thing is pretty cool. Um, you know, my son's third grade teacher for the first time ever was doing Google Classroom with a video every day, a uh, little schedule. And she realized, hey, this isn't that bad. And so I think if we look long term, down the road, I think the finish line is going to be an amazing thing. It's going to be a, a shift, but I think there's a lot of teachers out there that are going to be like, 
hey, this, you know, this Google Classroom thing's not a bad idea. Hey, forms, it can be done on a phone. Oh my gosh, I now have access to more students than I ever did before at a different time and I can give them reviews in a different way. What I'm seeing is a lot of these, I mean, all these things are good things, but what's happening is that a lot of these good things are not being highlighted in the fashion that they should be. So the handful of bad things that are happening are what's really being brought to the forefront. So Zoom bombing is the thing that, all, that the media is paying attention to. So it's not that all of these students are connecting with their teachers via Zoom or via Google Hangout or something like that. The, the media is focusing on Zoom bombing. And the whole problem with Zoom bombing is it's not necessarily, in my opinion, that people are getting hacked in there and people are coming into meetings and doing inappropriate things. The whole, the, the whole problem stems from the fact that people either A, were not trained properly ahead of time on these things, especially on such short notice, but B, some people, because they just didn't care about the technology ahead of time and didn't want to have anything to do with technology, now they don't know how to use it. So when they're setting up a Zoom meeting that's open to the public, that's opening the door for these things to happen. And they're horrible. It's terrible that it's happening, but a little bit of training goes a long way to help those things out. But again, the handful of Zoom bombings, quote unquote, that are happening around the world is taking away from all the great things that are happening out there as well. And what I really think is going to happen too, not only is that our teachers, like you said, Corey, seeing the potential of all these different things. And now even when we return back to a regular environment, all these things that, that can be done via distance learning, via Zoom, via Flipgrid, whatever it may be. What, what I'm seeing, I'm seeing immediate effects right now is students that have a hard time focusing in class now from home, they're able to focus a little bit better in an environment where they're comfortable and get work done and get the help that they need. So now it's not true for every student, but I'm seeing a lot of success from a lot of students as a result of this whole situation. And you know, Kyle, what you're saying about the bad things bubbling to the top, but isn't that the case for education throughout time, right? Newspapers only publish the bad things that happen in a district, never the everyday good things that are happening, right? Which is exactly why we do this podcast, right? To showcase the great things in education, which is why we always tell districts, create a social media account and you proclaim daily what you're doing amazingly. You need to take hold of the narrative. And the narrative is, I would say 98% good. Right? So you take hold of the narrative and shout it out saying, look at what we are doing and look at the impact we are making so that it drowns out those negative stories that come out in these published papers. And I also want to talk about um, you know, the, the good things and the bad things with technology. It's, 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 most of the time, it's not the tool that's the problem and it's not the technology that's the problem. And let me give you an example. Let's say if the nation went to war and, and all the trained fighter pilots are already out and they need thousands more. Right. And so they just grab anybody in the Air Force or anybody in the Navy and throw them in a plane and say, go fight for us. And it doesn't work. Do you blame the plane? Do you blame the pilot or do you blame the lack of training? And of course, you would blame the lack of training. You would never say, see, I told you those planes are no good. No, the planes are good. The pilot is not. And it's not the pilot's fault because you just threw them into this situation. If they were trained properly ahead of time, you would win the war. And so what I see when people are saying that technology is not working, it's not because the technology is not working. It's not because the teachers aren't trying. It's because they haven't been properly trained along, which we have been saying for years, right? I was listening the other day to a song by Panic at the Disco, which by the way, is one of my favorite bands called The Greatest Show. And it talks about how these people are constantly saying throughout our lives, we've been, we've been called runaways. We've been called, you know, uh, you know, you know, 
devi- we've been called disruptors and now it's our time to stand up and showcase what we can do because now is the time it is our greatest show to show you what is possible and th- that song gave me uh, goosebumps because it's exactly what's happening to us right now like adam like you said now you're the sage that everybody's coming to for advice and you're like i've never i haven't changed the situation has so it's not what i've been saying it's because you now see that the need is here which is why i want to prompt you all and once again we're not going to go on you know this person talks and this person anybody can talk at any time and and i first want to say that it, it is always the the um the the mantra of the sums of technology that we are always going to speak encouraging words and that we're always going to lift people up so i don't want anybody to think that i am berating this person because i'm not and so I, I want you to, 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 to see an article that I read from the Los Angeles Times, um, and it's an opinion piece. And the opinion piece, the reason I'm reading it is because the opinion piece was written by a Bob Roosh, who, by the way, I, I, I believe to be an amazing educator. He had a 41-year career in education. He, is, uh, he was uh, inducted into the National Teacher Hall of Fame in 1997. And he really, uh, he, he, his, his, his number one goal is to make sure students and teachers can connect on a face-to-face level. Okay, so, so this is an amazing teacher and, and I truly believe he's always had the students um, at, at the forefront. But remember, he retired in 2001. Okay, so his, his view of technology may be a little bit off. And, and the reason also why this is important is because he's still part of education because he's a board member for the community that he's in. So what he says affects the rest of his school and his teachers. So this is the reason I wanna bring this up. He states that, that technology right now, that, that this, this coronavirus is showing that technology is not, is not helpful in education. Okay, he says that we have learned that technology can provide only information and processes for student interaction of our modern curriculum, but it lacks the process of social interaction. That is not the case, right? And he also says that that technology, it proves to us now that technology can't replace teachers. We've never said technology is gonna replace teachers. We've never said that. A teacher uh, needs to be an imaginative, he needs to connect with the students, and, and we've never said technology is going to replace teachers. We never said that. And so it, and it also says that, that we, are, we are learning that the trend towards using technology to improve learning is not the future anymore. He says that we've learned that putting technology first is coming at an extremely high cost to our students. Once again, we never put technology first. I wanna say that, we never put technology first. We put our students first, we put the learning outcomes first, and, and if technology has a place, we incorporate it. If technology doesn't, we don't. And we've always said, and every tech coach I've ever talked to has always said that a blended learning environment is the most successful. When you take traditional activities, face-to-face conversations, and blend it with technology integration in the classroom, that's when success happens. And Kyle just proved it in what he said, in that students in a face-to-face model who are never given a chance to communicate other than verbally, can shy away and not perform and not showcase what they know because they're afraid to talk. And when you give them a medium such as a back channel, a chat room, um, or, or a flip grid, some kind of other place to showcase their knowledge, uh, you start seeing students coming out of their shell. And so once again, I don't think Bob here um, is, is, is doing anything other than showcasing his context. And I don't think his context um, is in line with the technology that is being used today. 
Um, his context is from 2001 and how technology was being integrated in the classroom, which is completely different than the way it is being incorporated in 2020. So I just want to throw that as the prompt out there. And I just want to hear, I want to hear the group's response. So ready, go. So uh, Joe, I do think that there are some ineffective, um, there are some ways that technology is used ineffectively. Um, and so I, I think that I have seen, and this happened at the beginning of all of this, I think that um, districts were not sure how long this would last. And so it was thought, oh, well, maybe after spring back break, we'll be back. And so maybe it's only going to be two or three weeks. And so what started happening, what I saw in um, across the state uh, was all of a sudden, all these resources start, start coming out. So all these, you know, oh, just, just, just put your kids on Starfall. Just have them do Lexia. Just have them. And so essentially what they're saying is let the technology teach the student. And that was kind of like the phase one reaction. And that I would, I would argue that, yes, that is a very ineffective use of technology. And so the challenge is when that happens, then all of a sudden you do have someone rightfully saying that's not that's not good. You are replacing teachers. You are not um, having the using the technology for communication. However, I would say that once, at least what I have seen, even across the state, in in calls that I have um, with different districts and, and counties, is that now educators are saying this is going to last a little longer. We need to talk to our kids. We need to communicate. How do we do it? And so now they're moving past this. Let's just throw them a bunch of stuff to do on their own. And now they're saying, hey, wait, we can use technology to communicate with our, our students. We can use technology to have them collaborate with each other. But I think that shift, if that shift does not happen, then I would agree, even, even back in the days when we were in the classroom and I would walk into a room and young kids were glued to a screen with headphones on. That is not an appropriate use of technology. Um, it needs to be used to to help increase connections, not to isolate. Um, and so I think that's why sometimes um, technology gets a bad rap. And and that would be I would say lack from lack from proper training, right? Yes, it's just saying absolutely. taking something and and so which which is why you know the end of the article it, it confuses me a little bit because it actually proves your point, right? And so I'm I, I, it says right here it goes. So while our schools struggle to determine how to make up for lost learning caused by this pandemic, let's start discussing how our teachers can be trained, which is what you're talking about, um, and how our schools can be financed so we can prepare students to meet the needs of our rapidly changing world. That confuses me at the end of the article because the whole time it sounds like he's saying technology has no place in education, but that last sentence says it does if properly trained and we're properly funded. And so this is why I want to bring that last part up because the, the article reads as an anti-technology, but that last paragraph reads as proper training and funding could integrate technology. He doesn't physically say that, um, but that's what it says. So it sounds like he's agreeing with you. So I, I'm, I'm very glad that you stated that. Um, does anybody else have any, any comment or, or insight into this? I was going to jump in too. Um, you know, I, was, I agree 100% that, you know, technology in the hands of uh, ineffective teachers that are just going to turn it into a worksheet just happens to be on a screen. That's the same thing as a worksheet. And um, 
I think that if we are going to make this fundamental shift that we need to properly train the teachers and show them that, you know, students can have that voice. Students can be doing, you know, these things online in a blended environment, both, you know, hands-on, you know, as a science teacher, I'm trying to integrate both technology and a hands-on lab experience for these kids. But why can't they just re, uh, tell me the results in a Flipgrid? Why can't they tell me in a blog post or um, an audio recording? Um, I don't make them fill out a formal, you know, five-page lab report like I used to back in the you know, early 2000s, and have this packet of you know worksheets and tests and things like that. So I think we can blend technology correctly, along with the other hands-on experiences. And I, I I'll leave it with um, a quote from uh, my friend John Ike. It says the tools are only as good as the hands that wrap around them. And I really truly believe that, that if we put a tool in a kid's hand that doesn't know what they're doing, they're going to pound the heck out of the wall and make holes in it. But if you put it in a craftsman's hands, they can build amazing things. And if you teach that person the same one to put a hole in the wall, if you teach them how to properly use that tool, great things can happen. So I, I, I always use that example in my sessions as well as like, you know, you're learning this tool, you have your hands wrapped around it. Let's see what you can do with it. And that's absolutely, you know, there's the idea of the classroom artist, right? Where every tool is like a pigment of paint. And in the hands of different teachers, you're going to have a very different picture being painted. And, and if you put, put it in the hands of a toddler, they're going to just paint all over the place, right? And so the tool itself is not the thing that's going to change anything. It's the teacher, which Bob does state that. Bob states right here, he says that, that um, most importantly, we are, we are learning that having a well-trained, creative teacher in the classroom is indispensable. I 100% agree with that because we always said tech, technology in the hands of a great teacher can really enhance instruction. Technology in the hands of a poor teacher will showcase how poorly that teacher is, right? And so technology is not the savior of education. Educators are right? But technology will be able to enhance that education, enhance the experience of students, and finally give the, the students who are introverts, who are shy, who don't want to speak to the rest of their, the rest of their students, a, 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 a channel to showcase their voice, right? I, I have always said that technology has given me a chance to give a voice to the voiceless, to finally give a chance to those students who are amazing, but give them an, a medium to showcase that amazingness. And that's what technology has allowed me to do, is to really have those students who wouldn't speak in class truly shine by being able to showcase that in a different medium. So that's what I love about technology, right? It's not the technology for technology's sake, it's because there's a purpose behind it. So I agree 100% with Bob that, that we need to make sure that we are uh, making sure teachers are well-trained and teachers are creative. I think that is incredibly important because those two uh, traits are truly going to enhance what technology can do in the classroom. And ultimately right now, we don't have a choice. So the choice right now is either embrace the technology and make the best of what the situation is or not provide an education at all for our students. And, and unfortunately, there are places right now where that's going to be the case, where that the, the community is so far removed from having the ability to provide an education through distance technology that many students aren't going to get an education. But then there's also places that are very well equipped, equipped for this, but the teachers are just so unprepared or so adamantly against the use of technology that it's just... A lot of students are going to suffer as a result of this, but ultimately 
let's make the best of the situation, embrace the technology we have. And everybody in this room right now, we're already there, but it's also up to us to spread the message to those that aren't prepared, that aren't willing and try to help them out best we can in order to provide for those kids. Well, and, and Kyle, I wanted to jump in and say that uh, Joe, at the end of his letter, you notice Bob said something about uh, not enough funding and we need to really start funding uh, technology, which I thought contradicted everything else he, he had said. But maybe he's in a district, and I was in an um, inland area Q board meeting and got to hear all the stories of districts around us, right? And um, I was even taken back quite a bit. And I see, you know, what's going on in my, my own household with my wife's district, where uh, they didn't think about making the teachers mobile, giving them a laptop to take home. You know, so suddenly, you know, your teachers at home are scrambling to find the, the right equipment to use uh, themselves, much less get their students on. And what if you haven't trained and built that culture and you suddenly find yourself trying to train, you know, 4,000 teachers on Google Classroom for an hour and say, good luck next week. You know, I think when it gets back to funding, it comes to priorities. Why wasn't there devices in the kids' hands already? You know, yeah, abs- absolutely. And and the the great thing about this is that the CARES Act that was passed uh, either last week or, or the week before is allocating thirteen point five billion dollars to uh, uh, each state's DOE, which is going to directly funnel that money into districts. And California is receiving one point seven billion dollars, and this funding is allocated towards planning for and coordinating PD during long term closures purchasing educational technology, which includes hardware, software, and connectivity for students who don't have it, and then also planning and implementing technologies related to summer learning if this extends. And so I think that's really important, but what I also think people need to, to understand as well is, you know, when, when social distancing ends towards the summer, right, which it most likely is because any virus has a lifespan of going up in winter months and going down during summer months. What that means, though, is there's a possibility that the virus outbreak can happen again. So there might be something called rolling social distancing, right, rolling school closures. So we have to make sure schools are understanding that we're not just trying to get through this patch, right? We're trying to train teachers for the future if this occurs again. And so training is incredibly important, right? Um, and and, and uh, being able to successfully implement technology um, is there as well. But there's, there's one more thing that we need to go to, right? And that's this, even if the, the school is well-funded, even if the teachers are well-trained, there's a problem uh, that I see, right? And right now, the, the state of California has stated that no grades shall be given to students during this time. And, and I, I feel that's to, to kind of give them a little bit of, of um, kind of uh, leeway saying, oh, look, you know, you can, ha- you, can, you can just go this at your own pace. But the problem is sometimes students don't go to the virtual lessons or do any of the work because there is no grade attached, right? And so this one teacher, and because and, and, one of the misconceptions is the students that are not attending the virtual lessons are the socio-disadvantaged students um, who, who don't have technology or this or that. And this one teacher states that she has 187 students that she's teaching remotely from home, and only 60% of her students are participating in her lessons. And she says, and it's not the disadvantaged students that are missing the class. Um, it is the students that have internet access and laptops at home. So she's saying the students that are not attending are the ones that can, but just aren't, because it's maybe the district says it's optional to attend these. What are your guys' thoughts 
on this? Because I know not giving grades can, can you know, alleviate some stress from students, but also not implementing grades can also just say the kids can check out uh, until they have a face-to-face -face class again. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. So um, I want to jump in here just for a moment because I, um, what, I, think, I think what happened even at, at least in California, even at the state level, was this, um, the, you know, first, first the governor comes out and says, we need to do distance learning. And, you know, Department of Education, CDE, you need to show teachers how to do this. So at the beginning, you know, um, Newsom's order says uh, educational opportunities. So that means that implies no new learning, right? Um, and so that's what starts happening in districts. So they go, okay, well, we don't want to overwhelm people. This might not be too long, whatever. And so um, interestingly, um, just before spring break, and a lot of a lot of educators and um, leaders don't know this, but on April second, I believe it was, um, CDE said that as they have a whole document about grading. Um, and I think that it's because they're hearing just what you're talking about from the field, Joe. I think they're realizing, oh, there are, there are students not doing their work because there's, why? Why would I? A lot of these students are realizing this. And so now they're giving um, local education agencies, districts, the um, decision-making power to either give grades in the uh, A to F type model or credit, no credit, but they're giving that power to the districts. And so I'm thinking that perhaps that may change um, as that information is rolled out down to the districts. But I'd love to hear from others as far as up until that point, um, number one, have you heard that that will change yet? And um, what have been the implications so far um, in your experience, those of you that are, that are still at districts? So I'm, I'm a parent of a third and sixth grader in a different district than my own. And over the spring break, they've been, I've been receiving emails from the district stating, you know, that we're going to be moving to a different model of teaching, but it's still going to be, you know, teaching. Um, teachers are reaching out now saying, here's our schedule. This is what I'm going to do. I set up these, you know, one, one time a week, I'm going to meet in small groups with the students, uh, doing a lot of work to, you know, Put together remote learning as best they can you know i would, would never expect my sixth grade son to be learning um you know something brand new in math remotely i mean we'll do our best but uh, i think it's going to be a challenge to try to move from this idea of hey just give them some uh you know i think what, what did you call it the at the beginning uh educational opportunities some opportunities yeah, enrichment stuff. And, you know, we were told that too in our district. It was like, just give them enrichment just for right now. And then all things, and it's like, okay, now we're until May. Okay, now we're done until the end of the school year. So let's rethink everything. And now we're trying to figure out how we're going to get stuff back to the students. Um, you know, what is essential to get to in the students' hands versus what can we do online now? And so again, I think we're going to have another shift in our ways we teach. I'm putting together lessons to, you know, in Google Slides, I'm doing a lot of stuff like that. So um, it is going to be very different, but I think we do need to move away from opportunities to actual, as best we can, learning. You know, we've already started. Started on Tuesday. We're we're teaching new stuff. We're it's it's you know quote unquote going to going to be we're going to continue where we left off, and we're we're going to a credit no credit model for our fourth quarter. You know those third grade those third uh, quarter grades are are now official. And now you, it's going to be balanced out with this kind of credit, no credit 
model that we're doing and you know we're doing a, for the rest of this month it's going to be called phase two we're doing a blended model well we're not going to sit there and let that minority of kids who don't have access govern everything we do we're we're, we're going to teach online we're, by, by may everything's 100 percent online so we're, we're actually buying time to within our own community kind of uh, bridge that that digital d divide so we have to pretty much for ourselves we've kind of set our goal okay by, by may 4th those kids who don't have it, we're going to do everything in our district's power to get those kids connected. And for the time being, we're, we're going to teach as if they're all connected. And if there isn't any, we still have paper packets for them. But for the for the most part, we're teaching new stuff going forward because you know we we, we don't want to just be kind of put a bandaid over this issue now till the end of the year. You know, if this comes back again, we need to be under we need to be ready to roll if this ever happens again. Because I mean, any everybody feels like a first year teacher now. We kind of Feel like we're kind of with our pants down, like, oh my God, we're, we're, what's going on now? And, you know, um, and just kind of circling back to that, that article from the LA Times Joe was talking about, um, again, it's, it's the history teacher in me um, that, that comes out when I hear things like that. Um, and I, like Joe, you prefaced it by saying, you know, he's, he's, he's speaking from his own context. And that's one of the biggest mistakes in historical thinking is to judge people of the past by today's standards. So I, it's easy for us to get, oh, no, forget that guy. I hate him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But, you know, again, like, like Joe said, he's, um, he's speaking from, from his context and his experience. Um, and I think one simple quote could definitely get him to kind of change his thinking. And um, it comes from a quote that's in our book that we borrowed from uh, the great Joe Marquez, that the technology doesn't change how you teach, but how you reach. I think that right there summarizes uh, a thought that I think could, people who are still kind of like hesitant, if they, if they look it through it through that lens, that we're not changing how you teach, we're honoring your years of experience, it's just how you reach the kids, then I, I think it's going to get so many more people on board. And I think for, for that guy, that Bruce guy, definitely it, would, uh, it, it might uh, change, change his thought pattern. I agree. You know, that is a fantastic, you know, kind of, ending towards this because we are reaching that over the hour mark but I, I want everybody to give a chance to give one inspiring message before we leave um less than a minute just you know something that you're proud of of your teachers you could be talking directly to your teachers you can talk to the teachers of the of, of the world who are, are doing amazing things right now and sticking it out and so i'm going to go through and just and ask somebody ask everybody to give one inspiring message and and adam that was your inspiring message because that was a really good one because you included a great quote so catherine what, what is your inspiring message to the teachers of the world? Um, I am so impressed um, by the teachers that are moving forward and doing whatever is best and learning. I see so much learning happening um, and we will, it, this is not easy. Um, there's a lot of um, social emotional um, challenges with all of this too, um, but teachers see the need to connect with their students and they are learning and they're doing they're do, you're doing great things. So if you connect with your students one more time this week than you did last week, that is a win. So celebrate those wins and know that we are, we see your effort and it will pay off. Excellent. Patrick, what is your inspiring message? I would say just keep connecting, keep learning and keep collaborating. Um, one of the biggest things I've been proud of in our district, and I'm sure it's happening all over, is a lot of those silos have begun breaking down and crumbling and we have teams collaborating with teams that haven't before. We have admins modeling technology that haven't before. So 
keep those good things going and be open to new things and don't ever see failure as an endpoint. Grow from that just like we want our kids to and keep going forward. Excellent. Phil, what about you? I was thinking uh, the old Robin Williams uh, saying, carpe diem, seize the moment, think ahead into the future. We're heading into an age of artificial intelligence and we need to think forward, not be blinded by our crisis, but think of all the opportunities. This is going to not only allow us to build bridges with our students now, but our bridges will be very different and our classroom will look very different when we return and we will be ready for a future disruption. Excellent. Corey, what about yourself? I was going to say, I've been telling educators all over, it's like, if you look at the fundamental shift and the speed at which we had to shift how we do things, um, education industry did it in such a fast way and in such a huge turn that I think educators are one of the few groups of people that could have done it this way. And relying on their networks and their tribes or whatever you want to call them. Um, I think educators are the top people that can do that. And to see what we have shifted in this short amount of time and also what we're going to be doing in the future for um, changing this up and um, looking at this differently. Um, I don't think anybody else in the world could have done it except educators. So I'm very proud of every educator in whatever role they have administration to it, all the other roles in uh, helping these students and to be a role model. Um, you're going to go through bumps in the road, just like our students have been going through bumps in the roads, demonstrate your unflappable willingness to succeed and the students will follow you down that path too. So uh, kudos to all the educators and what you're doing. Um, it's, it's the right thing. You guys are doing the right thing, no matter what it is. Excellent. Kyle, what about yourself? I'm going to borrow and paraphrase from a song by seven seconds um, in the song they talk about embracing your PMA which stands for positive mental attitude and making it more than just a slogan on a shirt so rather than it just being words just keep on embracing that positive mental attitude and just continue to do your best and and live that instead of just using it as words and I see so many teachers out there right now that's really embracing the PMA and just and, and, and living it and I just want to encourage everybody really to embrace that and, and just and live, the, live the life of the positive mental attitude. Excellent. And, and I would say through, throughout history, billions of years throughout time, the, the world needed a cataclysm in order for something new to grow. Forests need to be burned down for new growth to occur. And I think right now we are in the moment of our forest having been burnt it is down to the ground, and now the seeds of possibility are growing stronger and peeking through that roughness and seeing the world in a brand new light. And I think every single teacher, like Adam said, is like a brand new teacher, like a brand new seed growing from the ground up, and you're going to be weak, and you're going to be nimble at the very beginning, but you're going to grow strong, and you're going to grow solid, and you're going to grow beautifully. And I think that's what's happening right now, because teachers, you are amazing, you are resilient, and you are beautiful, and you are changing the world every single day that you connect with students. And do not ever ever, ever, ever take for granted that connection that a teacher and a student can have. And so every single day, make sure you find a way to connect with your students virtually through Flipgrid in some way so that you maintain that connection so that growth can remain strong and beautiful. 
And I, I want to say thank you to every single one of the members of the Sons of Technology here on this screen and, and in our clubhouse. And, and I want Bob to, to, to be reminded, we, we are not, not um, tearing you down, Bob. We, we, we are enthralled at your, uh, your education that you've been given these kids and, and your, your passion for education. And so what the Sons of Technology uh, wants to do is we want to put out our hand to you. And, and if you ever want to reach out to us, if somehow you get a hold of this podcast and you listen to it, we will be more than willing to chat with you and hear your side and, and, and for us to showcase ours so that we can build that bridge and to make sure our forest grows strong and unique because every single forest has a lot of different fauna in it and every single uh, a district has a lot of different kind of teachers in it. But together, we grow strong. And I want everybody to remember that. And last thing before we close, the Sons of Technology, we, are, uh, we love teachers so much that we created a Flipgrid called ask a Textpert. And if you go to flipgrid.com forward slash Textpert, you can ask any question in terms of tools, in terms of technology integration, in terms of how do I do this? And you can ask that at any time and we will respond with a screen recording right in Flipgrid on how to do it. And we will start that conversation with you because we are here to help you grow big and strong. And we promise, we promise that we will help you along the way. And that is the credo of the Sons of Technology, that we will speak encouraging words, we will build you up and we will do it together. And that's what we want to do because teaching, as I always say, is a collaborative sport and we need collaboration now more than ever. I want to thank every single one of you for joining us today in the clubhouse. I want to thank every single one of you listening today, doing the amazing things you do with your students. And I want to thank every single one of you for changing the world from the bottom up because it is through you that society will change. It is through you that our students will change. And it is through you that we can make all things possible. And thank you for listening and have yourself a great rest of the day.